It's not a product, it's a technology. It's an education challenge. A regenerative suspension. There will be a growing demand for industrial photovoltaics. Tom Tiger. Innovation in the financing space. The high-speed train is in all our interests. All political lines. Australia is a solar paradise. The market is moving much faster than that. You've got something that's transformational. Solar window in a can. Beyond Zero. Global warming science, solutions and action. Taking it to a do-it-yourself level. Hello and welcome to another edition of the Beyond Zero show. We're coming to you from the studios of 3CR Melbourne, syndicated around Australia on the Community Radio Network and podcast on the internet at 3cr.org.au. Both the BZE Community Show and this show are now available on iTunes and Stitcher, so please subscribe and help and rate us so that, other, help, that it helps others find the show. My name is Kay Wenigal and today I'm joined by Michael Steindl. Hey, listeners. Who hasn't got a voice still. It's now about five or six weeks since the launch of the BZE Northern Territory 10 Gigawatt Renewable Energy Plan, and there has been an amazing amount of interest in the plan and the renewable energy projects for the Northern Territory during that time. Just this week, the Northern Territory Government announced that the Sun Cable 10 Gigawatt Solar Farm that we recently covered has now got major project status. We have covered community and business responses in the previous episode, and today we're going to have political perspectives from the Renewables Minister and the Northern Territory Chief Minister. But to start us off, we've got Peter Ong, who's the Secretary of the Northern Territory and Queensland branch of the Electrical Trades Union, and he's going to give the union's response to the BZE plan. Hi, Peter. Thanks for joining us. Good okay. How are you, mate? Good to have you on the show. Peter, firstly, I understand you cover the operations for the ETU in both Queensland and the Northern Territory. So are you able to use those experiences with renewables in Queensland and apply them to the Northern Territory? Well, certainly that's what we're hoping to do. Um, we're currently trying to get some discussion with the Northern Territory Government around uh, the issues that we face in Queensland over the past two years with um, the solar projects. Um, it seems to be the main renewable projects that are going on in Queensland at the moment. There's a small amount of wind and um, we're just starting to see some storage projects in the pumped hydro starting to kick off around Kidston. But the solar has been predominantly what we've seen in Queensland and we have found um, numerous issues in that sector which we're keen to sit down with uh, the Territory Government and start exploring so that we don't run up against the same problems we've run up against in Queensland. Mm. Yes, and we'll talk about them a little bit later. Um, but firstly, with the big picture, do you support the BZE 10 gigawatt vision for renewables in the Northern Territory? Absolutely. Um, I mean, we all know the science is there. We need to start moving away from the traditional forms of generation that we've seen. And as far as ETU concerned, um, the likes of solar, wind and hydro is really the only safest way to move forward on renewable generation. I think it's a great um, a great recommendation and um, I'm certainly glad to see that we're starting to get some movement from the Territory Government. In terms of membership, your membership, what do you think that means with regard to jobs in the Northern Territory for you? Uh, well, I guess that's, that's probably uh, some of the discussions that need to be had um, with the Territory Government because one of the issues we face in Queensland is with the work being done on these solar farms has been predominantly done by 
guest workers. Um, we've seen a lot of this work being done throughout Europe where we've got um, companies that are, a lot of Bulgarian companies that are getting involved in it, utilising cheap labour or to the point of slave labour in uh, Europe. But we're seeing a lot of backpackers and, and guest workers doing the majority of the work on these solar farms. So, A, that's not delivering any um, real or sustainable jobs to the Australian workforce um, or the Australian economy for that fact and certainly it's not delivering any members to my union um, and more concerning for us is the safety issues around the utilisation of guest workers doing uh, licensed work in our view. So can you tell us a little bit more about the issues with regard to solar panel installations? Um most people, and certainly the um, with, with the history of the technology, the technology's come a long way in the last you know, 10, 15 years. Um, if you go back 20 years ago, there wasn't a whole lot of um, TV work being done. I mean, solar panels were, were limited to, you know, one for camping, uh, something you saw on a digital watch. Um, or, or you know, something that you had on the dashboard of your car. It was they were very small mm. items and certainly not put into mass generation, um, and therefore they weren't really picked up in our electricity act. Mm. Um, it was silent on it. They were weren't classed as electrical equipment. So a lot of people just think, oh well, they're solar panels. They can be done by anyone, and to a certain extent, that's true. And certainly under the act, because it's not classed as electrical equipment, um, currently that's true that they can be put up by anyone, but when you start building major solar arrays um, like we're seeing on these solar farms, the voltages that they generate are extremely high and we end up with life situations that people who aren't licensed electricians just can't understand and so they're putting themselves at risk and the proponents who are building these projects are putting those workers at risk. So that's a real concern for us. So the solar panels, even when they're not connected and they're just being installed, just put in place, they're still live, are they? they ge- as soon as they're exposed to sunlight, they generate. In fact, as soon mm. as they're out of the bloody um, box, they become live. Um, we've had some proponents say that, oh, we'll do the work at night. Well, unfortunately, that doesn't stop them from being charged. They're mm. still going to be live. And as you um, link these all together and series them up, you're going to end up with you know, excessive voltages that all come into connector boxes which have you know in some instances excess of 1500 volts into a connector box which is you know major power sources and if people aren't aware of this or aren't trained around it then they're going to put themselves in situations where they're going to have a high risk of electric shock. So these sort of technical issues aren't very well understood by the public or probably all sorts of areas of industry as well and especially the government, do you have industry bodies that can help get that message across? We're certainly starting to work with some. Unfortunately, when when it first kicked off, we were trying to get in contact with some of the industry bodies and, and work with them, but certainly um, some of them were more interested in looking after the developers and, and what money they could make rather than sitting down and taking on board our issues. Um, in fact, for two years, we tried to engage with people like uh, the Clean Energy Council who didn't want to talk to us until such time as 
Um, you know, we had a bit of an argument around a regulation that was created here in Queensland, which stipulated that from a certain point on solar farms, it had to be um, licensed electrical workers only that installed the panels. And um, that obviously was about to impact uh, on their profits and their costs. So they then wanted to sit down and talk. But in reality, all they wanted to do was knock off the uh, the regulation, which ultimately they ended up doing. But there are some... Um, we are engaging with some other smart energy councillors being very helpful, and um, certainly they're sitting down and trying to create some forums with developers, ourselves, um, the Smart Energy Council, investors, um, to try and work through, I guess, what we call the, the ESG, um, concerns, environmental and social impacts of these projects that aren't being addressed. Um, we want to see the renewable energy sector flourish in Australia, and we believe it is the way forward to reduce energy costs and, and sustain our energy system going forward in Australia. But um, it's not going to be received very well if people who you know have expectations of an industry that's going to generate some um, decent jobs, certainly permanent and direct employment for the period of construction and then ongoing operations, if these jobs are, are purely being delivered to backpackers and through labour hire with insecure work that uh, deliver poverty wages or no wages at all to the local employment and deliver nothing to the local communities, then obviously there's going to be some pushback against you know, that new renewable industry, and we don't want to see that. No. Um, certainly some forms of government. I mean, we don't see the LNP coming out back in renewable energy, um, they're quite happy to push, you know, new coal-fired power stations or now they're going to uh, the point of, of calling for uh, nuclear generation, which is just outrageous. Mm, crazy, isn't um, it? But, but that's a totally other topic. But, I mean, if we don't start looking after some of the ESG criteria, then there's going to be pushback and, and it's going to impact the renewable sector. Yeah. So we're just about out of time, Peter. I've got one more question for you. The um, the new major project that's just been announced, the yep. um, 10 gigawatt solar farm, do you have any issues with regard to having trained people for large projects like that in the Northern Territory or are you speaking to the government about that? Well, that's what we want to speak to because there needs to be a process. Um, you know, there are training programs that have been established in the renewable sector that um, people aren't doing at the moment. Uh, we want to make sure that there is... You know, some form of um, you know recognition of skills or or a, or a testing regime, if you like, to make sure that people are qualified to be doing this work. Uh, we need to see for the two years in Queensland, we haven't seen one apprentice trained on any of these renewable projects, which is disgusting. Um, the amount of money that's going through these projects and they're not delivering one apprentice on any of these projects. That has to be changed. Okay. Well, look, so I think these we're are the just... discussions that we need with the government. Thanks very much, Peter. We're just out of time. Thanks so much for talking to us today. Okay. Bye now we have a recording from the Minister from Renewables, Dale Wakefield, speaking at the launch of the BZE Northern Territory Plan at Parliament House in June. Minister Wakefield is so passionate about her portfolio and sounds incredibly optimistic about the potential of renewables in the Northern Territory. And she's determined to put the Northern Territory on the path to a low-carbon future. 
She's also focused on bringing the community along with them and making sure that no one is disadvantaged with the advent of new directions and projects, which I think was wonderful. Thank you very much, and thank you for that welcome to country. I do always laugh when Darwin people whinge about the cold. Uh, coming from Alice Springs, it always does make me giggle quite a lot. Anyway, I think it's minus two there tomorrow, just for the record. Thank you for the, the welcome chat, and I acknowledge all the other dignitaries in the room. I won't go through the list again, but it's good to see so many people because this is an important issue, and we are, as a government, very committed and have very clear policy settings to uh, make sure that we are achieving what we need to achieve. Um, and that is why we're hosting this this morning. The government's vision for the Northern Territory is to, for the Northern Territory to be a major energy hub, using our abundant resources to power our economy through local use and new industries, because there are extraordinary opportunities, as well as exporting energy interstate and overseas to power other markets. We're very focused on making the Northern Territory a place for investment and had excess, I think significant success in attracting the private sector to lead investment in achieving our renewable targets. So, for instance, E&I, and I noticed some E&I folk around, um, the world's 11th largest industrial company has chosen to invest its first Australian renewables project into the Northern Territory, and we look forward to attracting and welcoming more investment. This report, and I'll thank you, Chef Gamir, uh, briefing earlier this week, is very much aligned with our approach to electricity reforms to support cleaner, cheaper renewables and the ability to export power. It's really important that we see this as an economic driver for the Northern Territory. So we welcome this report and we particularly welcome the conversation it has in the community because we do need the community to come on this journey and we do need the community to understand the complexity of energy policy because we know that the conversation um, over the last few years has needed some more depth to it and, and visions like this I think allow people to see the broader picture. The report demonstrates the scale of the opportunities that are ours for the taking. Almost $590 million in direct economic contribution, huge export opportunities from hydrogen, industrial development and value capture, moving from resource extraction to processing, potential for significant jobs creations and savings on household energy costs. It also encouraged consideration of the social impacts arising from the transition and we do need to keep a strong eye that this is not a transition that leaves people behind. We need to make sure that everyone gets the um, advantage of this transition. For example, how do we ensure that if expected electric vehicles come off in, take off in significant numbers, and my personal view is it'll be like mobile phones, we were wondering why, why we ever drove, how we ever survived with petrol cars. We, will, uh, we need to make sure our remote communities and poorer members of society have access to that technology, um, particularly in remote communities in the Northern Territory, which I think electric cars will be a significant challenge for. Here in the Territory, we are absolutely uniquely um, positioned to be a renewable energy powerhouse. I um, have been on the record talking about an energy corridor a lot and very excitedly because I do think we have some absolutely extraordinary advantages that we have to make sure we are taking advantage of. Australia's best world resource, um, solar resource, and I think it's arguably the world's best solar resource, is here in the Territory. Running right through the middle of the Northern Territory already are roads connecting us to the south, east and west. 
There's a railway from top to bottom of the country connecting directly to ports. Gas infrastructure can be easily be piggybacked or perhaps converted to the, in the future to hydrogen. Critical infrastructure of major service centres in, with hospitals from Alice Springs and Darwin. There is an ability to grow and support a significant workforce around those. In addition, we have experience in major engineering projects and flexible workforces as demonstrated by the IMPEX project. We are uniquely positioned to take advantage of this and to drive significant economic growth and job creation. We as a government see the values of renewable. Our government was elected to transform our electricity systems with our target of 50% renewables by 2030. We were very clear going to the election about that and we continue to be very clear. When we came to government, though, the, the, the enormity of the task was very clear because we only had 3% of our electricity generation came from renewables. 3%, um, which is shocking considering that was 2016. But we are on track already to be at 10% by the end of the year, so we need to continue that significant leap forward. We have three large-scale solar farm projects approved that will total a, a total of um, 45 megawatts in solar capacity, and that is, an, I think, I'd really like to thank the companies involved in that because that, um, that investment is significant in the Territory. We've set our renewables policy because we recognise the benefits. The benefits of cheaper, cleaner power are obvious, but it is also about the skills, knowledge and growth opportunities that it can bring our economy to a position us as a lower and a leader and a growing industrial hub. We only have to look at our strategic location and the ability to export power and expertise into countries to our north to see what huge potential it is. We just have to think Indonesia. We have to think all of those countries above that will need additional support and do not have the space for renewable um, power. Technology is imp um, improving on a daily basis. I certainly even in the six months that I have been minister, we've, you know, different technical challenges have come, have been solved, but then another one arises. And whilst renewables grids management is a significant challenge, I do believe they're manageable. I'm going to quote someone has quoted to me that really it just takes good manners and good engineering to solve these problems. And um, I do have faith that if we invest in good science and good engineering, we will get through those. And that's what we've done in investing in the Incharlam Centre. We invested $5 million into a centre for future energy and it is absolutely focused on those practical engineering solutions because we know we need greater penetration of renewables into our electricity systems, but it does need that really good thinking about how we do it in a way that remains, our power systems remain reliable because that is still the expectation of the Australian public that we have a secure, reliable power system. So we, we're awaiting an arena <laughs> funding. It's really been a, quite a while, it feels like a long time, um, for funding for a future grid project in Alice Springs. Um, I think as someone who comes from Alice Springs, it is clear that we have an amazing opportunity in Alice Springs to really show the way because it is a grid that is small enough um, for us to do some significant work on and monitoring of, but it's big enough that those results can be replicated into the larger East Coast grid. And I think that is a really um, important way forward. We've also provided funding to the, centre, um, to the CAT Technologies and Charles Darwin to deliver research to support renewables and industry. 
there is much more to do, but I think we've made a good start in a short time in government and we will continue to do that. There is always more to do, but it makes me um, very happy as a minister that we've got the community coming up with visions like this that allow government to keep driving this conversation about how a low-carbon future, and that's the bottom line of what we want, we want a low-carbon future that can lead to also economic growth and development. We know it's possible. This is a vision that supports that. Thank you very much for your um, working with us and we will continue um, to work with the community to make sure we have a strong future for the Northern Territory and do not miss the opportunities that are in front of us today. Thank you very much. Doesn't Minister Dale Wakefield sound positive about renewables? And it does sound a little bit like gas fracking is a thing of the past, or soon to become that. So, from the Minister for Renewables to the Chief Minister, Michael Gunner. Our next recording was two days after the launch of the BZE plan, and it was at his offices next to the Parak Market on a Saturday. So, we were lucky to just grab yeah, so a minute this of this article time. today, the $20 billion solar plan for the Northern Territory. What are your impressions of that? Uh, we think it makes sense that the Northern Territory leads when it comes to renewables. We have those guaranteed cloud-free days, and this is based off existing technology. So we can build the farm here, we can put the HVDC cable in, and we can get power to our northern neighbours. This is uh, a project that I think makes sense, and as a government we've been behind it, we've been working on it for, for a little while. It's exciting to see it finally you know, hit the front page and for others to be able to buy into now what I think is a very sensible plan for this country and very sensible that the Northern Territory is actually the place that leads on it. So you've been talking about this plan with Sun Cable and Kevin Brooks? Yes. Um, It was uh, two separate ideas coming together. We've been looking at this idea for a while about how we do solar here and export it, and we're working towards how we can make this a facilitated project. We do that in the NT. We'll hear an idea, how how do we get people buying in? At the same time, Sun Cable came to us, we said, well, this is brilliant, so we've all got together and we're working on it with them about how we deliver this. That's a fantastic project, but it's huge, isn't it? Uh, yes, well's biggest. <laughs> yeah, massive. Yes. But that's what you need to be able to supply yeah. power to Southeast Asia and into the grid area. So it's a, it's a great vision. How do you propose that um, it actually get works? Where do you get all the labour from and the engineering and the expertise to actually make this project happen? I think it's important to think in scale. So often when we talk export, talk our northern neighbours, you've got to think really big. Um, and that, that is a, 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 an idea that takes bravery and you've got to have a bit of capital prepared to take a risk in the greenfield area. So um, talking to the proponents, they're looking at 1,000 jobs Darwin, 1,000 jobs Adelaide, getting into the centre, 300 jobs ongoing, that they've got that side of the pretty well planned by the looks of it. The, there's um, some work that's got to be done now in, in, in consultation with locals and obviously with, with the, the export out. So as every big idea, there's little things you've got to, got to work through to make it real, but for me, this is something that makes sense. Looking at it naively from a southerner's point of view, there seems to be two options. Uh, plan one, go with the, the fracking in the Northern Territory. Plan two, go with the renewables and stuff. And there seems to be a tension between those two. How do you see that resolving? Or are you going to do both or what? I don't see it as a tension. I think we're in a period of transition and displacement. It's mm-hmm. simply the speed at which it happens. So mm-hmm. for me, there's things you make out of gas. It's not just about gas becoming energy. So there's four things you can do with the gas. Put it from the territory. Mm-hmm. Put in a pipe centre east. Put in yep. a train centre overseas. Turn it into energy mm-hmm. or make things with it. And I think too often we think 
gas only. Mm-hmm. We've got to think energy. We've got to think megawatts. So really what we're doing, and this is where the, the tension will be, yep. is the speed of transition, the speed of displacement. So you have to have a plan around it all, yep. and that, that's what we've got here in the Territory. But two, two things on that. One is if you're saying gas is a short-term interim till we get the renewables up, then you're going to have massive stranded assets. And the other one is if you do go the gas route for however long, there there's enormous costs environmentally in that with the fugitive emissions, with methane being 86 times worse than carbon dioxide and so on. So can we ever afford to do the gas? So we know from our independent scientific inquiry that that can all be managed, including the sunk costs. That's, that's all uh, tackled through that PEPRA inquiry and the recommendations out of it and through the cost-sharing exercises about making sure it's a low-impact industry. So that can all be managed through that transition and displacement and that also ignores the fact that you make things out of the gas. It's not just gas into energy, mm-hmm. which is where the solar obviously but then, is. But if you're making, say, hydrogen or something and there's no sensible carbon sequestration technology, then you're still adding to the climate change stuff. You're still releasing the carbon dioxide to make the hydrogen. So it's, it's red hydrogen instead of what's called green hydrogen that would come out of the renewable plan. I think hydrogen is very exciting, and our solar plan is probably what unlocks the hydrogen future. Mm-hmm. And I think that's very real in the Barclay too. And we've been having conversations around hydrogen as well, but it's probably um, less known understood mm. to, the, to the solar plans. So that was Chief Minister Michael Gunner, and he does think big, doesn't he? Four weeks later, the Northern Territory Government declared that the largest solar project in the world, the Sun Cable 10 Gigawatt Renewable Energy Project, with an undersea power link to Singapore, was to be given a major project status. For listeners who want to follow this up, we did an earlier episode talking to the CEO, David Griffin, from Sun Cable. So this is what the Chief Minister said in announcing this huge development. The Northern Territory has an incredible opportunity to lead the world as a renewable energy hub, and seizing this opportunity will deliver thousands of local jobs. We have the guaranteed cloud-free days, the land, and the government with the vision to make it happen. Mr Gunner said providing the project with major development status was an important step for a development with the potential to enhance the region's reputation around the world as a place to do business and invest. Not only does it announce the Territory as a major world player for renewable energy exports, he said, but also a future where clean, cheap, reliable energy creates local jobs. Isn't it wonderful? It's just music to my ears. Not only that, a couple of weeks after that, and we heard the Minister for Renewables, Dale Wakefield, just before, She then released an insight, and I'll quote here. Renewables create cleaner power, cleaner air, and local jobs. The Territory Labor Government recognises the enormous potential that cheap, reliable, and renewable energy presents for local job creation. As Minister for Renewables, I think that the Territory is perfectly placed to be an energy hub which not only delivers cheaper energy to attract investment and jobs in the Territory – but also an exporter of energy to the nation and the world. And in June, there were a number of exciting developments in this portfolio of Minister Wakefield's. Firstly, she lists Beyond Zero Emissions and the Environment Centre in Teed, who released their report, the 10 gigawatt vision that we've been talking about. And she said, We welcome this report as an important step towards realising the vision of the Northern Territory as an energy hub. The next project she listed was the Sun Cable Project and the Barclay Solar Plan. She said, in the Territory, you can dream big and then do big. This has the potential to be the world's biggest solar farm and battery. And then she 
mentioned also the Tiwi Islands that has a community of now 3,400 solar panels and also this rooftop solar project that she has, the $5 million project. She ends by saying, we have the potential to be the renewables capital of Australia and we are on our way. What a strong message to send to the rest of the world. And doesn't that sound like a government totally appreciating the benefits and embracing the BZE plan for renewable energy opportunities? So that brings to the end the series of shows about the launch of the BZE Northern Territory 10 Gigawatt Renewables Vision. We hope you've enjoyed it as much as we have. The Beyond Zero show is brought to you by the Climate Change Solutions Think Tank, Beyond Zero Emissions, and is recorded in the studios of 3CR Melbourne and syndicated around Australia on the Community Radio Network. Previous episodes of this show are available on iTunes and Stitcher, so please subscribe and help others find the show. If you enjoy the program and can donate to cover airtime costs, please go to the BZE website and click on the Donate button. Thanks for listening and we look forward to you joining us again next week. Beyond Zero Emissions is an internationally recognised climate solutions think tank that is focused on solutions, not problems. Become part of the solution by becoming a monthly base load supporter. Go to www.bze.org.au to find out more. bze.org.au You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.